From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Governor Mike Dunleavy appeared on the Ketchikan Radio Center's Business Matters Monday while visiting Alaska's first city this week. KTKN is a sister station to KINY and the Sitka Radio Center. Dunleavy says Alaskan gas and mineral wealth is one of the keys to our economy going forward. There's a lot of turmoil in the world today. Uh, there's a lot of angst uh, in the lower 48, but I think here in Alaska we have some uh, tremendous opportunities uh, staring at us, as we always had in the state of Alaska. Our um, our mineral wealth, our oil and gas wealth, um, you know, our timber wealth, um, all that potential is still there. If we can just get the right policies in place, that will mm-hmm. let us uh, unlock the use of those um, resources. So, for example, we were over in Japan about a week and a half, two weeks ago, Talking with Japanese officials because um, because of world events, including the Ukraine-Russia war and the um, the push to be uh, have less carbon in the air, they're looking more and more at Alaska gas. Dunleavy says a natural gas deal between Alaska and the Near East is on the horizon. I'm pretty optimistic that uh, we may get to a point here sooner than later, hopefully in the next few months, in which uh, we uh, ink a deal. The reason I say that is again because because of the war in Ukraine. With Russia, a lot of the Japanese partnerships that they had in the uh, Russian Far East, uh, they pulled out of. And so their, uh, what they thought was going to be potential gas for them, for example, on uh, Sakhalin Island, looks like there's not going to be. And Dunleavy says, because of the Fukushima nuclear disaster, Alaskan gas is high on the list for Japanese energy optimism. People in Japan don't really want to start up a lot of nukes because of Fukushima. And then their government is really looking at uh, uh, a very low carbon uh, or just uh, zero carbon. So that really leaves uh, only gas. And Alaska is uh, one of the closest uh, locales for gas. In uh, uh, America, Alaska being stable, reliable. We shipped gas to Japan in 1969 for 50 years out of Cook Inlet. Uh, They're ready to re-engage in a discussion on moving some of that North Slope gas. So I think things are looking promising. Uh, I'm not going to promise anything or guarantee anything until we have uh, signed papers in hand, but I would say that uh, it's looking pretty good. Governor Dunleavy made his remarks during KTKN's Business Matters Monday. Gail Fanumiai, the director of the Alaska Division of Elections, says the fifth-place finisher in the special primary for the state's U.S. House seat, Tara Sweeney, will not advance to an August special election following the withdrawal of independent Al Gross, who is in third place. Fenumiai says that's because the withdrawal happened less than 64 days before the special election. The election is 56 days away. Fenumiai pointed to a provision of law laying out the timeline. She says Gross's name would be removed from the special election ballot. She says any party that disagrees with the decision should sue immediately, citing the timeline for printing ballots. The remaining candidates for the election are former Governor Sarah Palin, Nick Baggage, both Republicans, and Democrat Mary Petola. The city and borough of Juneau is facing some tough choices ahead on the topic of short-term rentals. That's according to city manager Rory Watt. Short-term rentals uh, attract a lot of attention uh, because you're kind of visible and you can, you can see units coming uh, out of the rental market um, long-term rentals, so people who are renting for living in Juneau and going into the short-term market for uh, independent travelers. Um, We have big housing problems uh, in terms of not having enough housing and not having enough housing under development and the whole economics of building housing. 
Watts said on Action Line that a lack of developing truly affordable housing is a problem in the city. Juneau collectively has been very unsuccessful in getting multifamily apartment buildings developed. Um, we have some movement in the single family market, higher end homes, um, but we really don't have movement in what we would call affordable housing. And Watt says approaches to short-term rentals vary from city to city in the region. We kind of have to decide as a community what our policy and approach is on that. Some people or some uh, towns approach short-term rentals uh, around taxation issues, um, you know, to make sure that the sales tax, hotel bed tax is properly being paid. Um, it's a rapid dynamic, you know, moving issue where you can put something on Airbnb for a couple of weeks and take it down, right? It's not like a fixed base hotel. Um, some people uh, regulate uh, short-term rentals because of neighborhood impacts, community impacts. Uh, so you're going to get this commercial activity in a residential neighborhood. The need for short-term rentals is important to members of the legislature and their out-of-town staffers. Short-term rentals is a good opportunity for legislators. You know, we want to make sure that legislators and, and their staff have lots of options. It's a very, very fine line to walk. Uh, we have a number of people in the community that have seen a, uh, you know, a business opportunity, even if it's a small business opportunity, and they've invested in an apartment, and uh, you know that might be part of their family income. That was City Manager Rory Watt appearing on Action Line. Temperatures will soar this weekend from the 70s into the 80s for much of southeast. By Monday, some locations of the inner channels could reach 90 degrees or hotter. Daily high temperature records will likely fall in some areas. We spoke with forecaster Rick Fritch in the National Weather Service office Tuesday. We do have some indications that it's going to get uh, above normal as far as daily high temperatures in the Juneau area. Uh, there is a question as to how high above normal they are. Uh, it does look fairly certain that we are going to be above normal. The big question is how much above normal. To give you an idea and the listeners an idea, the record in Juneau was way back in 1976 in July when we got up to 90. And in the years since then, we have seen as much as 90 back here at the forecast office, but not at the airport ever since then. Fritch says the temperatures will continue to be high after the weekend. Right now, the official forecast has us in the high 70s by the end of this work week, and actually in the 80s in the second half of the, of the uh, weekend uh, coming up. Uh, looking very closely at that to see whether or not we really do are confident that it's actually going to get into the mid-80s. The latest uh, supercomputer model information is suggesting that, you know, maybe we won't get that, that warm, but we are definitely going to be experiencing some more summer weather in the, in the days to come. And with the hotter temperatures comes fire danger. Fritch has this advice. Whether you're here in the Tongass National Forest or anywhere else within the great state of Alaska, it's always you know, uh, very prudent to keep control of those campfires and any kind of outside burning because uh, as everybody knows, the forest floor in our part of the state in particular is just loaded with uh, wildfire fuel. Now, it has been wet for a few days, 
and the forest is a little bit damp on the forest floor. So, you know, there is the concern there, but it's not perhaps as severe as what we had uh, several weeks ago when we had red flag warnings out for Haynes and Skagway and Juneau. Not that bad yet, but it's always a good idea to keep control of those campfires. Fritch says staying cool and being heat aware will be important. Even though it's not, you know, maybe we're not going to hit record territory on temperatures, it's still going to be warm enough that everybody should really pay attention to uh, the temperature inside the house, especially pets in the car, if you go over to Fred Meyer, and make sure that they've got some decent ventilation because it's going to be warm, especially by our standards. Juno Fire Chief Rich Etheridge stressed fire safety with the warm temperatures expected in the region. We don't get heat wave warnings very often, but uh, what I'm anticipating for this next one is the first you know, two, three days will be pretty darn humid because we've got so much moisture on the ground right now. But after about three or four days of you know some warm weathers and some breezes, the the light fuels are going to start drying out again. So we'll probably see, you know, some grass fires and, and maybe even some brush fires at that point. And if you have to burn, Etheridge says you'll need to make sure you have a water source. Open burning. Your first couple of days are going to be the safest, and then after that, you really got to watch those light fuels and make sure you got a water source to to put things out and don't shoot fireworks off into trees and brush and stuff like that. And Etheridge cautioned people against throwing out lit cigarettes or cigars. Yeah, there was uh, what, two or three fires downtown of, you know, just, you know, people dropping them into the planters and, and stuff like that. So people get pretty careless with those at times. Juno Fire Chief Rich Etheridge. The shareholders of Sea Alaska are voting on an amendment in their election this year that brings into question the blood quantum requirement to be a descendant shareholder. The requirement to enroll for Class D left-out and descendant stock includes being one-quarter Alaska Native blood quantum, a lineal descendant of a Sea Alaska shareholder, or eligible to enroll in 1971 and not enrolled with another ANCSA corporation. The question posed to shareholders is whether to eliminate the quarter blood quantum requirement from Class D stock. While well, a guest on Action Line, Sea Alaska CEO Anthony Munlot likened it to the 2007 vote to create Class D stock. It was very similar to the reasons we're expressing in this current vote on an amendment. Is that you know there were issues with the original act that we just need to address. It doesn't work for us anymore, and, and we want to make a change. And at that time, it was you know there's a whole set of Clinket, uh, Haida, and Simshian people that, you know, were left out and not becoming shareholders. In the 2007 vote, Malat said that at that time there were many folks who were not a shareholder. We had data that, that through gifting, uh, we weren't seeing as much gifting as expected, and there were shareholders, there were eligible shareholders, um, descendants that were not shareholders for the better part of their lives, and so... This was a moment to include more shareholders. Uh, It's gone great over 15 years. Uh, We've brought on uh, 6,000 plus additional descendant shareholders. And so the opportunity to to look back again and, and say, are there additional changes we need? The one we heard from our shareholder voice was that there's ever growing more people that continue to be left out because of the blood quantum eligibility. 
Removing the blood quantum requirement will make eligible up to 17,000 descendants of original C. Alaska shareholders, whose blood quantum is either lower than one quarter or was incorrectly documented by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. In our mind, it's opening the door to more shareholders that were left out or not included for reasons that just don't continue to make sense. And so we've had a lot of conversation with shareholders. There's obviously pros and cons on both sides of this. Uh, We believe the pros outweigh the cons. Malat spoke to how they hope to address the cons. We are going to really try and mitigate the cons with just understanding them, letting shareholders know that we're listening and we have strategies to offset any of the negatives that may come from removing this blood quantum. And the bulk of it is around dilution of shares. But we face dilution from the original shareholder descendant vote, and I think we can address it adequately. And The final results of the corporation's board of directors election, as well as the results of the blood quantum question, will be taken up at the annual C. Alaska shareholder meeting on June 25th at Centennial Hall at 1 p.m. Online voting is available and open at MyCAlaska.com until Friday at 5 p.m. Shareholders may vote in person during the meeting up until results are announced. The request for an ordinance to repeal the Ketchikan Gateway Borough's non-area-wide library powers by John Harrington, a former member of the Ketchikan Assembly, saw no action Monday night. Harrington, during public comment, said he thought the request to the Assembly was the best way to move the issue forward. Regarding the resolution, I don't expect you to pass this tonight. I consider not filing it with this body, but I decided to do so for several reasons. First of all, I sat in your seats for nine years. I felt I owed this body uh, the respect of at least briefing you on the issues as we see it. If you wanted to pass this resolution, however, it would save me a whole lot of work and make my wife happy. After considering the best political way to get this passed, I rejected it. Um, I could have forced the signatures to come in after the deadline for the, for the fall ballot, thus having a special election, which would have cost you guys chunk of change. But the thing about special elections is you get activists out more than everybody. Ketchikan City Council last week voted 5-2 to two against a motion to cancel a drag queen storytime event. Council members Riley Gass, who sponsored the motion, and Jai Matani voted in favor of the motion. At the assembly meeting, resident Alicia Kielli King spoke to the issue. Our library is so important. It's so, so important. It's so beautiful. It's a place where everyone feels welcome. Everyone. Everyone. We had a big controversy about a drag queen reading a story. Guess what happened? It happened. We had a a couple of years ago, this woman showed up and she was talking about stuff and she was wearing a burqa. What? In Ketchikan, Alaska? You know, that's what a library is all about, is accepting everyone. Ketchikan resident Judy Smith says controversial issues should not be censored at the library. I believe that all of us on any side of any of these controversial issues should have the right to read the books we want to read attend the events that we want to attend, and that none of us have the right to take a book or an event away from someone else because we don't agree. 
The Ketchikan Assembly ultimately took no action on the request by Harrington. A ribbon-cutting ceremony for the new Rotary Park Pavilion in Juneau is set for this afternoon. The Juneau Glacier Valley Rotary is inviting the community to a ribbon-cutting for the Riverside Rotary Park from 5 to 7.30 p.m. The beautiful new pavilion that was built last fall and has been waiting there and families have already been using, but we want to have a, an official ribbon cutting event. So we're going to have a hot dog dinner, chips, ice cream, sandwiches. There'll be Frida the Duck will show up for a while and we'll be talking with the kids a little bit about the resident mallard ducks at, at the duck pond there. That was Michelle Strickler, president of the Glacier Valley Rotary Club. She joined Lindsay Zeller, secretary of Glacier Valley Rotary, while guests on Capital Chat. Well, this last year we worked on our new pavilion and we moved the smaller pavilion over and then created this, poured a big cement pad and with a, a lot of community help, put in this amazing pavilion so that you can bring big family events there. Um, it's covered. It has, um, does it have lighting? It does have lighting so you can be there at night, in the evenings before the park closes. Strickler laid out all those that assisted in the effort. We have a lot of eager Rotarians who are willing to roll up their sleeves and help, but CBJ Parks and Rec came through in a really big way um, with a $35,000 contribution. Central Council for Clinkett and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska, $35,000, and that just means so much to us. And then also the Juno Community Foundation has a Parks and Trails fund that they reached into to help us top off and make sure that that pavilion could be built. And then we always work hard with our local district, our state, the state of Alaska district, district 5010, and we received a matching grant. So it helped the finances come together, and then it was just a lots of labor over mm-hmm. yeah. many, many weeks. <laughs> lots of sweat equity. And, and just personally, a huge shout-out to Charlie Williams, past president of Glacier Valley Rotary, who was project manager on, on making sure our pavilion was built safely, and everyone knew when they showed up as volunteers what job they had. The event is again at 5 to 7.30 tonight at the new Riverside Rotary Park Pavilion. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.